the Holy Spirit impressed me that when I praise Him, I'll get my healing. When I praise Him, I'll get my joy. He impressed me that whether I feel like it or not, when I praise Him, I'll get resurrection power that I need. Oh, and it is here. Oh, what great and anointed singing. And what great and anointed presence of God. And I'm confident that while He promised to be with us always, that on Friday evening from 6 o'clock to last evening at 6 o'clock and those 24 hours in between, with those who are available to come for the prayer gathering and vigil, I'm confident that we can draw from that reservoir of intercession and say, God, remember us. In the Gospel of Luke, please, as you stand in reverence to the Word, it would be chapter 11 for today's lesson. And as you find that, I want to remind you that Monday night men's opportunities for discipleship, one class in particular, about 50 or so gentlemen last Monday evening in that class, about 21 in the men's class for prayer, separate class, and 130 or more of the ladies who came to talk about Jesus only, Jesus the one and only. Those opportunities are still available for those who would participate. This is lesson number five in the series of lessons entitled Living in the In-Between. Chapter 11 and verse 5, Jesus teaches on prayer. And He says, He said to them, Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend... Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet... Because of his persistence, (laughs) he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So everyone in concert, verses 9 and 10, read together out loud with me. And we'll read from the PowerPoint so that we'll be on the same rendition. On the count of three, one, two, three. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to he who knocks, it will be opened. How many believe you included in that number? Say amen. Before you're seated, about 15 seconds of prayer for me. Would you do that? And I for you, extend your hand in my direction and honor the word of the Lord and bless a servant by your prayer. How great is our God. I feel, oh God, that there's an artesian well coming up out of my being of the blessings of God today. Because you said out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water if we praise you. I want for any of my brothers or sisters that don't have that artesian well bubbling up. That while they hear the word and believe the word, that they'll have bubbling up, overflowing water 
enough so they can give to somebody else. God, I pray that miracles are yet to be done, will be done right here this morning. Say amen. I pray, oh God, that healing that yet to be done will be done right here this morning. I pray for those who need joy or peace, reconciliation, whatever it is. We trust you because you are sufficient to it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Praise the name of Jesus. I want to begin this lesson with this thought. And I hope I can keep it as the underlying thesis statement for this lesson. I try my best when I come to preach to observe the hermeneutics of preaching. Yes, you didn't know Herman was here, but he is. I have been to preaching class, and I'm glad I did. And I've, I've, I probably need to go back. Don't need to say amen. I hadn't heard you preach yet. So. And I try to, you know, but I know that all along, uh, the point of a delivery of a message has to come from a centrality of a thought. And the centrality of the thought this morning is that this place of the middle, the in-between, is uncomfortable many times, but very strategic. This place of the middle, oftentimes, is inconvenient, yet very essential. Some of you are in the middle of your healing. You are sick. You are in the middle and you're moving towards your healing. It is a place that is uncomfortable but strategic, inconvenient but essential. Some of you are in the middle of your financial recovery. And you have once had but you're lost. Uh, you maybe have never had what you've been hoping to have. And you're in the middle moving towards God's prosperity and blessing as you walk in obedience to tithing and giving and benevolence and all of the scripture. And boy, I tell you, the more you pay that bill, something else shows up that you didn't plan to pay for. And it's an uncomfortable middle. It's the strategic and essential middle because somebody's saying to you, give God 10%. You wish you had 10% so you could do something with it. And therefore, that test of obedience is in that middle place. Am I not right? Some of you are in the place of the middle where the more you pray for your marriage or your unsaved children or your boss or your coach or some supervisor, somebody who has covering over you or some relationship, the more you pray for it, this seems like the more divisive and separating it is. And you wonder why pray anyhow. That's what Jesus is talking about. Keep on praying anyhow. As I looked at Scripture, the Holy Spirit brought to my, brought to my mind several of those in Scripture that might help me introduce why this is a place that is uncomfortable but strategic, the middle place. I thought of Abraham, and when you have time and you do your devotions, you might want to go to Genesis 18. Because in this context of Abraham's life, after God visited with Abraham... 
to announce to him that he has not forgotten the promise he made to him about making him the father of many nations, etc. After two angels came down personally, and isn't it wonderful that you can have such a relationship with God that he'll just send down angels to talk to you? He'll even come down himself. And after God reaffirmed to Abraham his covenant, the two angels departed and headed to the city of Sodom. And God said to himself in Genesis 18, Should I hide from Abraham, the righteous one, the one who honored my word and has been a man of integrity? Should I hide from him what my plans are potentially for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Knowing indeed that Abraham had a nephew whose name is Lot, who lived in Sodom. And without being too lengthy, because this is just an introductory part, without being too lengthy, God told Abraham, I have heard the wickedness and the evil of the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah have come up into my ear. And I, God, have sent down now emissaries to see and confirm, not that he couldn't do it from up there, but he has a plan, you see. I'm going to send down some emissaries and, and, and some of my ambassadors to see and be confirmed whether that wickedness is as I hear it and is reported. And Abraham didn't have to be told anything else. He knew of the wickedness of the sins of sexual promiscuity and perversion that Sodom and Gomorrah was so known for. More than any other kind of sexual perversion, the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah was known for homosexuality. And so Abraham didn't have to be told another thing. He started praying right away. He started saying, oh God, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Surely you are a God of justice and you will do right. God, if there were... Fifty righteous people in the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that must have been populated with more than 50,000 inhabitants. But God, I'm not even asking you for five, for 10%. I'm not even asking you for one per, if there were five, if there were 50 people, Lord, would you spare the city? And because God caused Abraham to be a man in the middle. You hearing me, somebody? God said, if there's 50 righteous, I'll save the whole place. Abraham knew. He knew that it may be a little risky here because Sodom and Gomorrah was hedonistically unrighteous. And he said, God, can I revisit the number? What if there was five less than 50? Come on, give me a witness, somebody. And God says, if there's 45 for your sake, Abraham, the man in the middle, not for their righteousness, but for your sake, I'll spare the whole twin cities. And Abraham realized that this is an uncomfortable strategic place, this place of intercession. And he said, how dare I impose on God to talk to him? How can a mortal man like I, who have no bargaining chips, come to God? And ask him something. But God, I'm going to ask you, what about 40? And God said, for 40. 
God, I, I know I may be making you impatient. What about 30? 30 goes to 20 and 20 comes to 10. And God says, for you, Abraham, the man in the middle, if I find 10 people, I will spare the whole city. And God couldn't even find 10. Matter of fact, only three people escape the fire and brimstone of Sodom and Gomorrah, and that would be Lot and his two daughters. His wife would have escaped, but one of the instructions of, of, of exiting the city was, Lot, you and your family, take whatever little you can or nothing. Matter of fact, don't take anything at all. That's, that's, that's really the Bible. And, and so depart from the city, don't even look back. And she looked back, Lot's wife did, and turned into a pillar of salt. I think about this account. I think about Joseph. Not long from Abraham, Joseph, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, was the father of Joseph. And you might recall in Scripture, and that would be Genesis chapter 50 and preceding chapters, obviously. The children of Israel retreated to Egypt to survive a famine during the days of Jacob. Is that right? Could you say amen? The banished favorite son of Jacob, Joseph, after being long gone from his father's family because he was sold into slavery by jealous brothers who didn't understand God working in him. But he was now gone for about 17 years and in the process of time after being the man in the middle, God put him right next to Pharaoh. Oh, somebody ought to say amen. He became a friend of Pharaoh. Pharaoh gave him power equal to Pharaoh except in one or two areas because all through Joseph's being in the middle and suffering and being falsely accused of rape and and being all accused of other things and being thrown in prison and being forgotten by potential friends, all through it, Joseph persistently trusted God. And then he interpreted the dream of Pharaoh and so he came to prominence. Now think about this. He was hated by his brother, brothers, but he would become their savior, the man in the middle. Can I get an amen, somebody? He would be a type of Messiah himself. He was considered dead. It was 17 years now, but he would save his own brothers from real death. Somebody else, say amen. He would protect them. He would provide for them. They were the empowered older brothers of Joseph who chose to exclude him. But later on, because God sent him ahead, he became the empowered younger brother who would include them. Somebody else, say amen. He forgives, and by God's grace, he is the man in the middle. In the fullness of time... The descendants of Jacob would die. And they would no longer be celebrated as royal people when they first came into Egypt. The brothers of Joseph would die. The family uh, who knew Pharaoh and favored Joseph would die. It would be 400 and more years. And now these people would be conscripted as slaves. But God would have a man in the middle Again. Oh, help me, Jesus. Moses would be born. He would be sovereignly designated by God for the middle place. Somebody hear me? God's 
preparing to choose some folks here for the middle place. And some of you that are not yet in the middle place, God wants to get you to the middle place. So eventually you can get to the end of the place and be with God forever. You know and you understand the story. And and what happens to me in my introduction is I tell the whole thing and I never get to the rest of the story. But, But you know that Pharaoh had given a mandate that every male child born to a Hebrew woman was to be killed. And how God sovereignly spared Moses' life. He would be born a Hebrew, but he'd be raised an Egyptian. He would be born a slave, but he would be raised as royalty. And secretly, he would live his life as the man in the middle who would ultimately save his people. Somebody raise your hand and give the Lord a praise here. Give my hand clap of praise. Stephen, cut this for me just a minute. Cut it off just a moment. You didn't get it quick enough. Oh, uh, if the flesh would give me the permission. But the Holy Ghost will. Oh, blessed, blessed Jesus. After there would be Abraham, there would be Joseph, and then there would be Moses, and there's more. But oh, one day, back it up one. One day, there would come another man who would be, back it up again, the man in the middle. I'm looking for the man Jesus. Oh, oh, I wish I had time. I wish I had time to tell you about Daniel, the man in the middle. Jeremiah, the man in the middle. Hannah, the woman in the middle. I wish I had the time to tell you about David. The man in the middle. But I'm taking the time to tell you that there is a man whose name is Jesus, who is both God and man. Oh, and if it wasn't for that man in the middle, you and I would perish. You see, Jesus came and right in the middle of humanity's, (coughs) excuse me, unbelief and God's Grace. He became the man in the middle. Because you come to understand and appreciate that when Adam and Eve sinned, the curse of sin and death and hell came upon everybody who would be born after. And Adam couldn't buy our salvation. He couldn't earn it. Neither would anybody who would follow him. The penalty for sin because of Adam and Eve's disobedience would be death and hell. Uh, And I want to tell you something. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to die. I'm just just talking with you a little bit. (laughs) It wasn't comfortable for Jesus to die. Read his story. But he was willing to be the man in the middle. And as a result, you and I won't stay in the middle. (laughs) But we're going to move up higher. We're going to draw closer. And because he was the man in the middle, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Because he was the man in the middle, hallelujah to Jesus, by the power of his name, we shall cast out devils. 
we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. By the power of his name, death shall turn into life. Sorrow shall turn into joy. Weakness shall turn into strength. Because he didn't come to leave you in the middle. He came to take you up higher. Praise him, somebody. Oh, help me, Jesus. Let, let me go take you back now to our text. And let me show you. Back to Luke 11, and I'm going to hurry here. This story, this, this lesson Jesus teaches the disciples on prayer that we can learn from. The, the story goes like this, and, and I know I've read it to you, but let me see if I can bring it into contemporary understanding. You are the host, you and I. A friend of ours, an acquaintance, perhaps a relative, is alone at night in the city in which we live. This friend has no money for food, no money for shelter, no place to go. He is destitute, he is hungry, he is vulnerable, he is alone and penniless. But he remembers that we live in the city. So about midnight, according to the story that Jesus tells, he knocks on our door. Everybody here knows that at midnight, rarely does any good news come. Oh, help me now, Jesus. And you ever had a midnight? Say amen. So, let's, let's keep the story going. You glance outside your window. You recognize your friend. It may have been years since you've seen him, but still you recognize him. You open the door. You push aside the inconvenience of midnight. You welcome the long-lost friend in your house, and the whole family is awakened. This friend quickly tells you that he is in the city. He is destitute. He has no place to sleep. He remembered you were here. He is in need. So he turns to you. And full of compassion, you make a place for him to rest. The whole family rallies to, to accommodate this person, this stranger at midnight. And I say to you, brothers and sisters, I tell you that to tell you that in this business of serving God, in this business of praying for people, in this business of loving the unlovable, in this business of serving God and the world turning against you, it's going to be inconvenient to be in the middle. You're going to have some midnight hours along the way. And while it may be inconvenient, I want to tell you, you still have a friend that's called Jesus who is closer than your mama or your daddy or your brother or your sister <coughs> I want to show you not only not only is this thing of inconvenience but there's that feeling of being inadequate for the middle place so far your friend has been welcome in the house it's midnight so you get a grade A for hospitality but then you sense something a miss in his eyes. He appears weaker than the journey has made him. And you say to your friend, how long has it been since you've eaten? And he says to you, too long. And you guess it's been several days. Now, you have a need. Your empathy has created a need. Your friend's problem has become your problem. His hunger has become your point of reaching out. 
And oh, help me, Jesus. If South Metro Ministries is going to go from where we are to where we need to be, we need to understand this business about inconvenience by the world and by sinners and by people who dress differently than we are, who speak differently than we do, who don't always know our church culture, but they're lost and they're destitute and the hounds of hell has chewed them up and God sends them knocking at our door. And this, this discovery of this hungry, destitute, penniless, emaciated friend says, what must I do? I, I'm going to check the cupboards. I'm going to check the pantry. I'm going to check every room. But there's no bread. There's nothing for my friend. And I tell you that... There are people calling upon us who need deliverance, and we don't have the power to deliver them. We ourselves. There there, there are people coming to us who need a breakthrough in their marriage, a breakthrough from drug addiction or alcoholism or some kind of abuse. And we feel like this man feels. I have nothing to set before him. So what do I do? I'm inconvenienced, but that's okay. We're up now, but I'm inadequate. Let let me take you to another thought very quickly. It's this place of the uncomfortable middle. So Jesus tells a story. He says, although you don't have any bread, you have a friend, a more wealthy, better off friend than your capacity. And so what you think you will do is you will go to his house even though it's late, it's midnight, you are asleep, he's asleep in his family. But for the need that is here, I can't go to bed with this man hungry without trying to feed him. So he goes over verses 5 and 6, if you will. Uh, look in your scripture. And I, don't have it, I don't have those preceding verses on the screen. And he says, which of you that have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come. And he has come on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. Verse 7. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. So what you have is you've been inconvenienced. You are inadequate to what is needed. And now very uncomfortable because you may lose this friendship of this person's house that you went to. Who's a little bit more wealthy, a little more influential. Maybe he's a banker and he's helped you with his banking, uh, with your banking in the past. Maybe, maybe he's involved in, in some sort of official position in the city government. And you don't want to offend him. So what do you do? You go there and, and this, this, this person you thought who would help you. Although reluctantly you went, he says, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed. I'm in bed. So it's, it's best that you just you go ahead and come at another time. And so what you do is you turn around. Your friend is in tow with you who is sick and penniless or maybe hungry. And you say, it looks like we have no bread in my house. This person won't get up to give any bread. So it looks like we're going to have to wait till early in tomorrow's morning and go to the marketplace and get bread. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden... He has a change of heart. This man in the middle. (laughs) I hope I'm doing okay. 
He's got a friend in need. He's got somebody who can meet the need, and he's smack dab in the middle. And he thinks to himself, what if it was me? What if I went to a town? What if I drove in there and I had bad circumstance and the car tore up and didn't have enough money for a hotel and, and I had to expend money for other things and now I'm in a, a different town. I'm a stranger. I don't have a place to lay down. I don't have a piece of bread to eat. I'm, I'm, I'm cold and I'm, I'm sick and suffering. What if it was me? What would I want done for me? Man, he turns back around. He don't care if his friend is a banker. He don't care if his friend is a mayor. He don't care if his friend is a county commissioner. He don't care who his friend. He knocks on the door. He bangs on the door. He says, get up. Help me. My friend is hungry. You can help me. Open the door. I plead with you. Help me. Oh, my, 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 my. Verse 8, everybody. Jesus says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Okay, let me just bring it home. We quit too quickly. We give up on our prayers too quickly. We give up on our marriages too quickly. We give up on our unsaved children too quickly. We give up on our miracle too quickly. And that's, you see, Jesus, the relationship is necessary, okay? This man in the middle, it was helpful to have a relationship with a man who had more. Because after knocking and pounding on his door, even though the wealthier man who had bread was inconvenienced, he got up and got some loaves of bread and gave it to the man in the middle. And the man in the middle tucked three loaves of bread that he was going to borrow. He was going to borrow because of his persistence. He doesn't have to borrow it. It's given to him free. He puts it under his arm and they march home and they get a little water or whatever is there. And his friend gets bread because he decides, I'm not going to give up. I'm on a mission. Somebody's in need. I'm in the middle and God will get glorified so I'm going to press my way. Now, I've got to show you some things the Holy Spirit showed me and I'm going to try to... Oh, help me, Jesus. Let me show you how God would have us deal in this matter of prayer. And how God would have us deal with people who are unlike us in this matter of prayer. And how God will call you to pray for some people in certain ways that your flesh don't want to pray. Yeah. God says, forgive them. And your flesh says, yeah, forgive them. <laughs> how many know what I'm talking about? Huh? Your flesh, you, the Spirit of God says, drop it and move on. And the flesh says, curse it, rehearse it, and nurse it. Yeah, yeah. Can I show you just very quickly the strategic middle? A relationship with people in need. If I'm going to be a, a true servant of Jesus Christ. Everybody here is called to be a person in the middle. So many of us are more concerned about our bills, our marriage, our children, our health, our this. We live in a world that's consumed with its own self and its own ego and its own desires and its own flesh. And I've come to understand in the kingdom of God, it's not about me first. It's about God first. And then if I have a heart for others and I honor God by blessing others, God includes me. Can I get an amen? Amen. 
And so in order for, for our needs to be met ourselves, we got to be willing to be the person in the middle and not just the person who always says, Give me, give me, give me, give me! A relationship with people in need helps us to understand and appreciate just how blessed we are as we thank God for what little we have or what lot we have. You see, I think that part of my problem as a preacher is, is sometimes I can get so far removed from the lost and from the needs and the hurts of the body of Christ and the people in the world. Uh, and sometimes as a preacher, I can get so preachy and holy and righteous and pure and untouchable that I don't have a friend who's a sinner. Y'all, y'all got quiet on me here. Was it because the microphone went down? Jesus said when he was criticized for being around a woman who was a prostitute, not being around her that he pursued her, but she pursued deliverance and that's why he came around her. Can I get an amen? But had he needed to go to her, he would do that too. Huh? You remember on an occasion when he went to the well of Samaria and here comes a woman who had not just five husbands, but the one she had now wasn't a... I feel a whoop coming on here. Yeah. And I, I've been on the other side of the fence where I just want to be so pure and so holy and so righteous. Jesus told us to exclude ourselves from Christian people who know right but want to do wrong and drag you in it. Yeah. That's what Paul meant. When he said, don't hang out with brothers and sisters who are committing adultery and fornication and all kinds of sin. And they know what the Bible says and they still want you to engulf them into the sheepfold. That's the kind he says, separate yourself from. But oh, Jesus said, I come into this world not because the well people need a physician. I came into the world because the sick people need a physician. Somebody help me preach here. So I say to you, if you're going to be a person in the middle, you needed some friendship with some other people who are not saved yet. Okay? Who are not in the kingdom yet. You don't have to be like them or act like them, but you have to be and act like Jesus around them so they'll be attracted to Jesus in you. Relationship. Relationship. Oh, man. Let, Let me move you to another thought. A gracious reception I see in this story. That this man who was inconvenienced at the middle of the night by a friend who he hadn't seen in, in maybe five, ten, or however years. This man, when the doorbell's rung, he gets up and warmly receives this stranger. He doesn't ask him, what you doing out so late at night? What is your name? He doesn't recommend to him a cheap motel <laughs> down the road because I got my family here. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't go to him and, and, and try to give him some kind of questionnaire about where you've been, what's going on right at the door. If he has coffee, he turns on the coffee pot. If he's got a pallet or some kind of mat for his friend, he lays out the mat. If he got some, uh, some water to wash his foot, he washes his feet and he asks him, do you have something to eat? And I hear I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the world is looking at the church, okay? The world is looking at the church and they're so tired of us telling them that we love them. What they want to see is us showing them that we love them. They're so tired of us talking the spiritual talk. They want some good Samaritans to come along the way and pour the oil and the wine and take them to an inn for healing. That's good preaching. And for some of you, if I was preaching on how a woman should dress or not dress, you'd be shouting. 
Oh, God, I probably shouldn't have said that. You see, when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven as Christians, he ain't going to ask us how polished we were, how refined we were, how much separated from the world we were. I think what he's going to ask us is, who'd you bring up here with you? Because you can't bring your CDs and you can't bring your Lexus and, <laughs> and you can't bring your designer suit or clothes. But you will bring your soul and somebody else's soul if you're willing to be a man or a woman in the middle place. I'm preaching to me if I preach to anybody. (laughs) A willingness to be inconvenienced by the needs of others. And the Holy Spirit has let me know this. I'm reading from a book by Doug Small, much of... These wonderful thoughts he has there. And actually, I've even wrote some notes. I've got some notes right here because he does it so well. Doug Small is so prolific in this area of teaching on prayer. And I like what Doug Small says. He he says, those who order their lives in rigid and self-serving ways will rarely be used by God in the middle. Let me explain. Ministry to others is rarely convenient. You see, love always involves a price. Can I get another amen here? We know if you're raising kids, you know what I'm talking about. Love always involves a price. Man, I've seen people who had situations in their life with their children... Repeated over and over again, and I thought by now, because of the negative situations in their life of their children, a dad had to go bail out a son from jail once, twice, three times. A mother had to get a daughter from a wrong crowd once, twice, three times. I've seen people raising up kids, and I'm not just talking about teenagers. I've seen people who have kids after they're married. They struggle with alcohol, they struggle with drugs, they struggle with other things. Adult people, and I've seen adult parents go back and bail them out again. And I'm thinking in my flesh now, not knowing their story, not knowing what's going on in their world, not knowing the kind of love and sacrifice they have for this family. I'm seeing in my flesh thinking, man, I think I've had enough of that. They should stop doing that. But oh God, thank God he didn't give up on me after three times. Thank God that he didn't give up on me after ten times. Because I've been the prodigal. I've gone away. You've gone away. But God kept coming back. Turn it off. I apologize, church. I don't want this upper respiratory and stuff. I just apologize that the vessel is terrible, but I am going to be the man in the middle for another moment. I'm not going to give the devil any room. So let me tell you, the Holy Ghost has been beating me up, man. Yeah, good for you, Pat. Me and you both, girl. I, I struggle with stuff like, what if so-and-so has a partner, you know, a same-sex partner? Should I let him come to the house? I'm a Christian. What if so-and-so has a boyfriend or a girlfriend? They've been living together. and They live out of town, but they come in for Thanksgiving. Should I let him in the house? 
Because I know my position. We all struggle with it too. I'm going to tell you something. You all going to have to write me off if you, if you, or pray. Don't write me off. Just you get prayed up, okay? There's got to be a place in my life and room and room for those who need God. And so I got to say, God, I'm not going to let, I know they sleep together out of marriage at their place. But they can come here at Thanksgiving. If they can spend the night, I'll ask him to sleep here and her to sleep there. Okay. You know, and, you got, and everybody got to do that. Do, do what is right. But, but there's something just, that when you mess with sin, it's inconvenient. It's, it's uncomfortable. Oh, God, help me. Sensitivity and capacity to empathize with needs. Can I get another amen here? I, I say that because one of the favorite phrases of America today for people who don't want to get involved is deal with it. You deal with it. I'm, I'm preaching still. Uh, you know, we, we oftentimes not meaning to I know I have and I'm praying for Wisdom. We oftentimes, we insulate ourselves. How can we keep insulating ourselves when God's been so good to us? If we found bread, we ought to help somebody else find bread. If, if we found water, live in water. We ought to say, come here, come here, let me take you, let me take you to this well where I met a man named Jesus. And he told me all about myself as if he could read my mind. Isn't this the Christ? And the whole city finds Jesus Christ or at least knows about him. And I am saying to you that sympathy for somebody else's need is no substitute for action. Did you hear me? Oh, bless their heart. I'm praying for them. Bless their heart. I'll send them a little card. Nothing wrong with praying for people. Send them a card. But the Bible says, if I have the capacity to help my brother or sister in need, and I withhold that blessing, how dwelleth the love of God? Amen. I'm moving in two more thoughts. Compassion is evident. I see in this story what I want to see in my life more. Empathy feels the pain, but compassion moves us to respond. Can I get an amen? amen? God's calling some of you here to lay down your burdens and pick up somebody else's in prayer. Because He wants you to see that the path to your deliverance comes in this middle place of intercession. Can I get another amen here? God's, God's calling us to be as Brother Sammy taught us yesterday in the altar workers training class, 27 of us. God's calling us to be the good Samaritan. The man in the middle. The middle of two guys, one the Levite and one the priest, who because of their own fears or their own ritualism or their own traditions. You know, tradition will kill you sometimes. 
He's Samaritan. I'm Jew. We ain't got nothing to do with each other. So I'm going on this road. God's calling us. Calling us to take up each other's burden in prayer, in compassion, in giving, in loving, in forgiving. And lastly, take some bold action. Well, I thought it was pretty bold for him to knock on his neighbor's door and beg for bread in the middle of the night. But he said, I don't have it to give him. He has a need. You have it. Now, I'm not saying to you, and I am trying to close, that God is some reluctant giver of gifts when I use this analogy, okay? That wasn't what this was teaching, that we got to beg God and bang on his door and he says, I'm asleep and don't come back. And that's not God, Okay? But what God is showing us is that we need two things to get through past the middle. And I'm, I'm, we, we, we need, number one, hallelujah to Jesus. We need a relationship with Him. Can I get another amen? amen. To get my prayers answered, I need a relationship with God. You do too. Amen. The man from out of town who came to his friend in the middle couldn't go to this friend who had bread because he didn't have a relationship with him. He didn't know him. But the man in the middle did. Okay? But you know what happens after? After this man gets bread from this man, this man gives bread to the middle man. The middle man gives bread to this man. This man over here says, I got to go over to your friend's house and thank him for this bread. I feel another. Fuck! Did you feel it? You trying to. Yeah, I think you did. Yeah. Let's presume that while the man in the middle went by himself, let's presume he left his friend on the pallet at the floor. He is midnight, his family, his wife, children come around and he kind of fan him and bless him. And this man says, you stay here. You've been tired. You've been traveling. You don't need to go anywhere. You just stay here. And I'm going to go to my friends. And he goes, he stays here. He goes and he does what he did. Man, he, bam, bam, bam. Gets three little, come back. After this guy eats that bread. <laughs> First thing he does in the morning is, take me to your friend's house. I'm telling you, they're going to want our Jesus. They're going to want our Jesus if we're willing to give them the bread. Stand, please. Stand, please. Stand, please. Oh, God, I don't know where all that landed, but I'm going to trust you that it landed in a good place. Raise your hands to him all over this house and say, Jesus, use me anyhow you want to. Come on, raise up your Jesus, use me. I'm I'm guilty of being the the person who always wants. Now I want to be used in the kingdom. I want to be an Abraham. I want to be a Moses. I want to be a Joseph. I want to be like Jesus. Come on, say, Jesus, use me. And by using me, I'll move from the middle and take somebody else from the end. And together we'll move from the middle and head to Christ. Come on, I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. I bless your name. How great is our God? How great is our God? Come on, praise Him a little louder with me. Lift up your voices. Praise Him. Praise Him. I thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Oh, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Okay, you may, you may, if you put your hands down just a moment, bow your heads. I got to obey the Holy Spirit for a few more moments. You just pray in the Spirit, okay? If you're born again, you pray in your understanding or you pray in the Spirit because... The Lord doesn't want me to close this door because He's compassionate yet. You say, Pastor, I need a relationship with Jesus. 
I have used other people to be my person in the middle. And while that's been helpful, I've come to realize, Pastor, that I can go to him directly. I got to go to the bread of life directly and confess that I need him. That I've been a stranger and a wanderer and I've taken some of his blessings and consumed it on myself. And now I'm in a bigger mess because I've left him out. And Pastor, I need Jesus. I need a relationship with Jesus. I need Christ to come in my life. If that would be you, raise up your hands. I need him in my life. Now or again. Come on. Nobody else looking. Just, just keep your Christians. All Christians. Everybody else. Heads should be bowed and prayer should be going up. Come on. I see numbers of hands. Put them down in Jesus' name. My Father, I ask you now. And everybody else, pray with me now. And those of you who raise their hands, I'm going to pray over you. Lord, for everyone who raised their hands, I pray the blood of Jesus Christ apply to them again. Thank you for their honesty. Thank you for their transparency. And I pray whether they feel something in their flesh or not right now, that by faith they will know that by raising their hands and saying, I need you, Lord, that they have done, oh God, the first and most major step. And I pray that you'd release the Holy Spirit into their lives. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would release, oh God, the joy of the Lord as they talk to you and say, I am sorry, forgive me. That's how you should pray if you raise your hands. By saying, Lord, I am sorry. Forgive me. I repent. And I pray as they release that prayer that, oh God, peace will move in and comfort and strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, wow. Well, well here's where I am. and I, I need some middle people. I need some people who are willing to be in the middle. Step out to this pulpit and come and stand in Jesus' name. However that hat fits you. Come in Jesus' name. It could, it could be for this church. It could be for your marriage. It could be for your unsaved loved ones. It could be for somebody in your job that you carpool with. They're in drugs. They're in alcohol. Somebody in sin. Somebody you, you told jokes to and you laughed at their jokes. But you're realizing they ain't saved yet. They ain't saved. Come, come in Jesus' name. I'm coming. I'm going to be the middle person. I found bread. I found water. I found a house to stay in. And I found life, and I want to bring somebody else. Come in Jesus' name. The person in the middle. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have the time, and the Holy Ghost doesn't give me the permission to ask you why. But, but look at me before we pray. Look at me before we pray. I'm going to tell you this. Please, it is inconvenient to be in the middle sometimes. It's uncomfortable to be in the middle sometimes. Sometimes you've got to get up at midnight. Or early in the morning. Sometimes the knock comes when you just don't have the strength. But if you'll say, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I, I, I want to stand in the gap. I want to be that person that not only gets, but gives. Into my marriage, into my children, into, into my job, into my church. For whatever you've come and everybody else. Offer it up. Lift up your hands and pray for it. Pray over it for over a minute. Raise your voices enough for you to hear and pray over it now. Come on. In Jesus' name. Pray over it. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, come on. In Jesus' name. My God, I, I, I bless you today. Oh, God, I bless you over these lives. I bless you. Come on. I pronounce power over them in Jesus' name. I pronounce the ability to forgive over you in Jesus' name. I pronounce the ability for you to go back to that hog pen 
where that loved one is and be like the father of the prodigal son and fix a table and tell them they can come home now. I pronounce over you to make that phone call and to send that email and tell them they can come back home because God has blessed you and you want to bless and make it right. Come on. I pronounce over you to forget your own convenience. Forget your own pride. I need to hear some people praying and praising God. There ain't a one of us here, God, that doesn't know somebody that's lost, that's dying. Oh, God, there's somebody that has aggravated us and made us mad and cost us money and cost us tears. But we've cost you pain, God, and yet you keep coming after us. Forgive us for giving up. Come on, church. Forgive us for giving up. We will not give up anymore. But we will go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How great is our God. Thank you, Jesus. How great. Lift your hands and sing with me now. Sing with me. today. Go into that place or that person's life or that situation or your own life and test it. Be compassionate. Be tender. Be the person in the middle. Treat others like you would want to be treated if you were there. Test it. They'll ask you, they'll say, what's wrong with you? You're the same one that told me where to go and how long to stay? Test it with love. I love you. Have a great day. God bless you as you go.